Imagine. 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 What will Canada be like by 2080? We're asking people to look generations ahead. As we look at future-focused ideas. Research, possibilities, and ambitions that could steer Canada forward. Welcome to Imagine 2080. A podcast made possible by McMaster University. Produced by the Walrus Lab. Right now, we're building a world. We're living in a world that was built by past generations for us. So how are we building a world now for future generations to live in? I'm your host, Anne-Elizabeth Sampson. In today's episode of Imagine 2080, we're talking about how AI will shift the ways we interact with the world, and we're getting some perspective from young people. But first, we're looking at the Indigenous concept of seventh-generation thinking. How can we use this concept to understand our current circumstances and then use it to influence the decisions we make today? Those teachings that I've had are really grounded in the seventh-generation teachings. That's Sarah Wolf, a Future of Canada Project Council member. But before we hear more from her, let me explain a bit more of what she's talking about. What exactly is seventh-generation teaching? The seventh-generation principle is said to be based on an ancient philosophy of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, also known as the Iroquois. The first recorded concepts of the seventh-generation principle date back to the writing of the Great Law of Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Now, the actual date is undetermined, but it's said that this writing happened anywhere from 1142 to 1500 AD. Today, the principle is understood by and is a widely shared worldview of many Indigenous peoples around the world. In fact, Maori people in New Zealand have a similar concept that is central to Maori institutions, which connect the past, present, and future, and also the non-human world. And here on Turtle Island, Indigenous peoples believe all things are interconnected from air and water to the land, including the forests and mountains and animals. Today, the seventh-generation principle is often referred to when making decisions about energy, water, and natural resources, and to make sure that decisions made today are sustainable for generations in the future. Now, let's go back to Sarah Wolf. It's a teaching to understand about the time of now by looking back and looking ahead. It's where we understand that the context and the circumstances that we see around us today are because of decisions of all of our ancestors, seven generations before us. This is part of Sarah's talk at the Imagining 2080 Forum, hosted by McMaster University in November 2023. She recognizes the importance of looking at the future in a generational way. No matter who you are, no matter what your age is, that voice is so powerful and so important. It's our core responsibility as human beings that we need to make decisions that take into consideration those past and future generations. Take only what you need, leave enough for others, and take care of it. Keep it clean. This is an ancient peace treaty, pre-contact with Europeans, but it's still relevant today. And we're going to have to rally around these big challenges. Climate change, rapid technological advances in the context of a really wide digital divide, even within Canada. Pandemic recovery, the erosion of truth and trust, and yes, reconciliation. And that sense of urgency, 
the big challenges around climate change and the tsunami of change coming with rapidly evolving technology, those conversations are being had now by Canada's youth. In classrooms and schools across the country, sport ecologist from the University of Toronto, Madeline Orr, has been traveling to get the perspective of Canada's youth on what 2080 will be like for their generation. And she starts out each session by trying to get people in the futurist mindset of what that far into the future could actually be like. I'll be 87 in 2080. And that's something that I introduced to the students right off the bat. And I described like, I am going to be wrinkly and maybe two inches shorter. And like, these are the realities of aging. And I'm not shying away from that. That's just a reality of life. And I think when we frame it as we are going to be part of this and hopefully we'll be well enough to be actively really engaged with it. What can we achieve if we're actively engaged starting now and up to that point? What if we actually addressed things like climate change and social injustice and health inequities and made our schools better? What would it look like? We've been going into classrooms across the country and asking mostly high schoolers and kind of grade seven and up about what they think we could achieve in 2080 if we really put our minds to it. And the goal was, let's come up with a very positive counter-narrative to the doom and gloom and Armageddon that we get all the time in the news, and as a way to not only counter some of the pretty scary and big emotions that some of these kids are experiencing through wildfires and all the trauma that we currently have, but also kind of addressing you know, some of those feelings of hope and potential and inspiration that comes with being a kid who isn't necessarily bogged down in the worry that the adults have all the time or the skepticism of what our systems can achieve. I think for younger people, they're just not as jaded. So we wanted to tap that as a resource. As part of the Future of Canada project, Madeline is a 2023 Future Fellow. Her project, aptly named Happily Ever After, A Hopeful View of Canada's Future from Gen Z and Gen Alpha, looks at producing a counter-narrative to the dominant negative stories we're told about the future. And through her nationwide public scholarship project, she's visited all 10 provinces, the Yukon, and the Northwest Territories. She's been asking young people what their future lives would look like if the current challenges we are facing were to improve. The whole vision of the project initially was to build off that proverb of we don't inherit the earth from our ancestors, we borrow it from our children. And what we were trying to do was talk to our generation of children about what it would look like two or three generations down the line. And as we were imagining that, you know, one of the first things we would do at the top of the hour is say, how old are you going to be in 2080? And some of them don't like math, so didn't like that question. But others really enjoyed it because they got to imagine what's it going to be like to be 65, 70, 80 years old. And at that point, there's kind of a shift that would happen where they were able to start imagining things through different lenses. So they would start to, by imagining what it would be like when they were their parents' age. And then they would think about what's it going to be like when you're your grandparents' age. And the 2080 year was handed to us by the Future of Canada project at McMaster, but it really did work because it did represent kind of really neatly two generations for this age group. And that was helpful in helping them to frame what could be. And one very tangible piece is how youth envision the future of our cities. And they were coming up with solutions. 
they were coming up with, what if we have light rail transit for wheelchair users that's also low sensory, so people who have sensory disabilities would be able to access that and not be hearing loud noises and loud people. Just really interesting stuff. Um, the big vision that came out was a lot more social cohesion. Since we've metropolized, doesn't really exist as much anymore in Canada, aside from some of our smaller communities, but they're looking for that in some of the big cities, and I thought that was interesting as well. So one of the pieces that I heard a lot, a lot was that Canada is not going to look the same. And what they meant by that was our cities are not going to look like they do now. These young people expect to see way less roads. They expect to see way more dense communities. They are not using the word mid-density housing, but that's what they were illustrating and drawing, which is really interesting for me to see. They're talking about massive swaths of protected territory for managed by Indigenous people for conservation and long-term preservation goals. And so that was kind of a double whammy of we can address, for example, you know, the United Nations 30 by 30, 30% of land and sea protected for biodiversity by 2030. They were envisioning that tenfold and saying, we can maybe get to 80% of Canada protected and managed by Indigenous peoples, which is a really wonderful kind of marriage of land back and an acknowledgement of what we can do on conservation and biodiversity with a view of protecting our climate. But even though the narrative that Madeline has been presenting through her Happily Ever After project is a positive one, it's been hard for the younger generation to ignore the elephant in the room when it comes to envisioning the future. I think our kids are really scared. And to be fair, I'm working with seventh graders to 12th graders, occasionally some undergrads, they are scared. What they are hearing from the adults in the room and the television and their phones is that they are walking into a world and a future where there will be more wildfires, more floods, more storms. There will be more conflict, more grief, more terror. And that's something that our nervous systems are not able to handle. One of the pieces of this project and one of the things we're working on actually with researchers at McGill through the project is figuring out what are the mechanisms for holding those emotions and that messiness and crafting ways of empowering students through this idea of we can gain frame things. We can actually frame this in a way of we have a lot to gain. We have a lot to win here. And this is how we can achieve that. They do understand the severity of the issues at hand and they are feeling it. We can't pretend that just because they're kids, they're insulated. They are not insulated. They are hearing it outside of their homes, even if mom and dad are doing a really good job of protecting them at home. And so finding ways to acknowledge that pain and that grief and find ways to empower them in the context of managing that and finding hope and other kind of positive emotions in that context, I think is going to be increasingly important. At all the schools she has visited, Madeline has been getting these young Canadians to draw their vision for the future, be it good or gloomy. The drawings are used as a tool to communicate their perspective to the world of how they imagine Canada to be in 2080. And soon others will be able to see this perspective too. So at the end, we have collected hundreds of images that students have created about what 2080 is going to look like. And we're putting together a gallery showing for next fall, which the idea is you walk into the room and it's plastered wall to wall with visions of 2080. Like you have walked into 2080 and this is what we have. And it's awesome. Something we know will have an incredible impact on generations ahead is technology. 
In just the past few years, we've seen technology disrupt so many aspects of our lives. The use of artificial intelligence, or really, how we all refer to it, AI, has become unavoidable. From the rise of ChatGPT to the extremes of deepfakes, AI has been working its way into our homes through smart speakers, robo-personal assistants, and autofill text. AI has been dominating the headlines for the past few years, so let's look at some trends. The global artificial intelligence market is a booming economy in and of itself. It's an industry that's expected to be worth more than $190 billion by the year 2025. By 2030, AI is expected to add $15.7 trillion to global GDP. We use this tech already, sometimes without even realizing it. About 77% of today's devices use some form of AI. Since the year 2000, the growth of AI startups has increased 14-fold, and that isn't expected to slow down anytime soon. The business community believes in AI. In fact, about 84% of C-suite executives believe that AI will drive growth in their companies. And soon, there will be more AI assistants than people. This year, that is in 2024, it's expected that there will be 8.4 billion AI-powered digital voice assistants that's more than the global population. At the Imagining 2080 Forum, Jackie C.K. Chung was one of the eight hopeful speakers. Despite the trends in numbers, he believes we need less short-term hype and more human-centered AI systems and design. I am an academic. I am a professor at McGill University. And my field is in artificial intelligence and natural language processing. So, of course, recently there's been a lot of discussion and hype around large language models and generative AI. So I'll talk a little bit about that and where I see things going forward in the future, as well as discuss maybe some potentially competing narratives about AI. And there are some areas of society that, as Jackie says, AI just can't be completely in control of. A human touch is still very much needed. What I mean is placing humans at the center of everything and in consulting stakeholders throughout the life cycle of uh, AI system developments. What do people actually need or want? How do these systems affect stakeholders who, who might not even directly interact with the system? And to tailor what we work on as AI researchers to these goals and needs and not the other way around. Policy and regulation are also extremely important. A lot of them are ongoing efforts throughout the world. Right now, there's an effort in Canada to bring in some of the first legislations in the world regarding issues of harms in AI and who's responsible for that. And we're going to need third-party auditing and verification for all of this as well. Humans in the recent past have maybe uh, been uh, losing in some sense in that we're now worse at, than machines are at, at numerical computations, at uh, search and information retrieval, at game playing and now maybe even at college essay writing. Okay? And there will be definitely more that we can get AI systems to outperform humans at. But that's not the point, right? So humans are always going to be the best at being humans, and we are the end goal. We're not some means to an end. We don't need to justify ourselves in terms of we're better than AI at X. And so I really advocate uh, for thinking of AI as a tool that we can control and, and shape its development of, and not as a competing intelligence. Instead of fixating on the fact that AI will be able to outperform humans, which it will, perhaps we need to focus on what it can do that us humans cannot. 
Well, I think that looking forward to the future, we need to think about more than just language models and have them train on more than just word co-occurrences. Sources of knowledge that could be useful there might include injecting knowledge sources, not external knowledge sources like Wikipedia or beyond, or also acting in an environment. So it could be like a real world environment with a robot, or it could be a simulated environments as well. And really by doing that, that gives these models the ability to better reason about the context that we find them in. And that's what will allow us to have these AI systems do all of these marvelous things that we collectively can imagine together beyond what the technologists are wanting to do for their next startup. Of course, AI improves our daily lives. And as Jackie looks at it, if we are able to think about how AI can better our knowledge in controlled and ethical ways, it can help us in the long run. So I really think that we need to rethink how we do AI in terms of research and development. But I think this is actually a hopeful message because what I'm saying is that there exists a path from now to 2080 where we can use AI in these controllable, interpretable, and transparent and ethical ways. So I think we need less of short-term competition and disruption and hype and more of a human-centered AI system and design. As we think about where we are headed through the lens of seven generations, the nation's youth, and technology, as Sarah Wolf puts it, the future for the generations to come is really in our hands. Drive change by putting solutions to action. Empower youth, because they are the future, and just do it. Just do it already. Each of you is the collective wisdom of all of your ancestors, past and future. And together, here today, we are the collective wisdom of all of each other's ancestors, everyone here, past and future. On the next episode of Imagine 2080, we'll be talking all about the economy and exploring major disruptors. The technology, there's about 10 technologies that are highly disruptive arriving now that are going to change a number of things for us. They're going to change how we create and distribute wealth, they're going to change the nature of work, they're going to change the kind of skills that are required. They open full new possibilities for the kinds of goods and services that are created and who they're created for. Are they created for individuals? Are we trying to create public goods that serve everyone through the use of these technologies? That's next time on Imagine 2080. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Imagine 2080. This episode was edited by Sheena Rossiter and Sandro Silva. It was written by Sheena Rossiter. The show's associate producers are Sandro Silva, Magda Malatu, and Kalita El-Sadati. The executive producer is Sheena Rossiter. This episode is fact-checked by Angela Capobianco. Alana Hamilton is the creative lead and project manager for The Walrus Lab. Mahira Lakshman is the director of the Walrus Lab. And I'm your host, Anne-Elizabeth Sampson. The funding for this show came from the Future of Canada project at McMaster University 
and the generous financial support and catalyst for the project, a gift from Chancellor Emeritus L.R. Red Wilson. Kaylee Wisman and I were consulting producers from McMaster University. Our guests were Sarah Wolf, Jackie C.K. Chung, and Madeline Orr. Music for this podcast is provided by Audio Jungle. Our theme song is called Podcast Intro 3 by L Music. You also heard A Curious Plan, Curious Background, The Landscapes, Inspiring Piano, The Funny, and Ambient Music, all from Audio Jungle. Additional music is Dewdrops from Purple Planet Music. Additional sources for this episode were provided by Madeline Orr. Don't forget to subscribe to Imagine 2080 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review and a rating. It really helps people find the podcast. Until next week, when we look forward to the future. Thank you.